Welcome to From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Face front, true believers. This is George Soroy, and welcome to the latest episode of From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. My celebration of all of the Marvel films that were not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the ones that started before and during the run of the MCU, while staying completely outside of it. And tonight's episode is definitely a very interesting one, because... There's so much that is owed to Blade for basically paving the way for everything that was to come, including the MCU. And then to add on to the Blade mythos, there was one hell of a good sequel that outdid the original in every way, in box office, in quality, in in effects, definitely in budget. And... That got things really solidified. It felt like Blade was going to be the one to lead everyone into this promised land. And then we got Blade Trinity in 2004. The first of a long line of part threes in trilogies that unfortunately became far, far less than the parts one and two. I was really looking forward to liking this one, but it turns out that there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that kept me from doing that. So in 2001, before the release of Blade 2, New Line had made a deal with David S. Goyer to write and produce a third Blade film. So things were definitely moving forward with this becoming the third part of a potential trilogy. They were... In talks with the German director who would eventually go on to direct the film Downfall about Adolf Hitler. And then in August of 2003, Ryan Reynolds was in negotiation to join the film. And with the thought that uh, that he would eventually become the star in a spinoff. So here's the big problem here. This This is not going to be the last time that a Marvel property is dealing with this sort of idea, which is focusing on what's to come after this film instead of focusing on this film. That is the big problem. That is the real big problem that really kind of sinks Blade Trinity. They were looking at Blade Trinity as the launching pad for another franchise instead of focusing on what this should have been all along, which is the last film in a trilogy. When you're doing the last film in a trilogy, you want to make sure you stick that landing. There are way too many instances in Hollywood where you have this situation where the where the producers, the writer, the director, whoever, the star is thinking about what's to come afterwards instead of just focusing on the here and now. It's very much in the lines of Yoda. All his life as he looked away to the future, to the horizon, never his mind on where he was, what he was doing. That is something that every every writer, director, producer of a sequel or at least like the first part of a series needs to remember because you nothing happens. So the main thing with this one and 
I would I would actually say that if you are going to take a look at the theatrical film or the director's cut that was that's on DVD, just go ahead and see the extended director's cut. Overall, I think it's a better film, but um, but not by too much. It's a little jarring to see so many comedic actors in this film. That definitely was a choice because there were so many of them involved in this. You have John Michael Higgins as a psychologist who, as we find out, is a familiar, a human working with vampires. You have Parker Posey, the indie darling, as Danica Talos, the main villain or the semi-lead villain. I'm going to get to the lead villain. And she is basically like playing a harder version of herself, of that same sort of um, just very a very Parker Posey-esque type of, type of performance. And in some cases it works. I do love her delivery when she says, I love your tattoos. They mean anything. When she says that's a blade later on. But overall, I feel like her character feels a little distant from everything, um, which is a real problem here because this is supposed to be the biggest threat and she's not playing it as the biggest threat. She's playing it as someone who's almost making fun of the material and just making light of it. And that's not what should be happening. This is the third film in a trilogy where everyone else has been dialed into this. And you have Danica Talos, who is basically kind of the best of what's left in the vampire world, which is why she and her cohorts go ahead and dig up the grave of Dracula to be like their guiding light. It, it kind of reminded me of Dr. Mindbender in G.I. Joe coming up with the concept of creating Serpentor, a new Cobra Emperor, just to replace Cobra Commander. It was basically what they were doing. They realized that they were not going to be enough to defeat Blade and so because of that, it just felt like they are looking for someone to lead them. But at the same time, they do show some sort of comp- competence at the beginning of the film when they frame Blade for murder, which I thought was that was pretty inspired the way that that was the, the way that that was done. And the big raid that took place when the military gets called in, they track down Blade. They're able to apprehend him. And at the same time they're able to kill off Whistler. Whistler goes in and gives his life so that way Blade can escape. And that winds up not really working, which really kind of puts the exclamation point on why Whistler should have stayed dead after the first film anyway. You bring him back in the second one just to kill him again in the third one? Ah, that doesn't work for me. And apparently that didn't work for a lot of people either. But they brought him in basically just so that way they could introduce Jessica Biel's character of Abigail Whistler, Whistler's daughter. And she is she also became a bit of a of an issue as well, because the main thing that they put in there is that before going into battle, Abigail goes through her iTunes playlist and loads up her iPod so that way she can listen to it while she's fighting. And. I know they wanted to say, wow, that shows what a great badass she is. She doesn't even have to have all of her faculties in order to take someone out. But by doing that, it's almost like, you know, she's just kind of tuning out. She doesn't really care. Why should you? And that in itself is a real problem. And then you have Ryan Reynolds as Hannibal King. And this was Ryan's first role in a Marvel movie. 
Obviously, we know where he would eventually wind up in the role that was absolutely meant for him. So consider this Wade Wilson version 1.0. And he has his moments, but especially his moment when he when they first freeze Blade from the police. But at the same time, it also feels like he's there to crack some jokes, just like so many other people in this film. Like I said, you have John Michael Higgins, you have Ryan Reynolds, you have Jessica Biel, who was lit before this in the rom-com Summer Catch. You have Natasha Lyonne, who was best known for being in the American Pie movies. You have Patton Oswalt working with her. It's it's an it's an interesting maneuver, kind of bringing in a lot of comedic actors, but at the same time, it gives it such a far different tone than what the other two were, and it's almost like it's playing itself up like a spoof of what came before, which is definitely not the way you want to go when you're closing out a trilogy. And speaking of closing out a trilogy, it's always best to bring in your top villain to wrap things up, to give your main character his biggest threat with Dracula, which makes sense considering the Blade started in the Tomb of Dracula series. However, what you do not want to do is set your character up to the point of almost completely emasculating him right at the start by constantly referring to him as Drake. And I don't mind Dominic Purcell in the role, I feel like there are times when he does show a little bit of menace, but I also feel like he was definitely undercut in this role. He was basically there for just to set up jokes, lashing out and saying how his character has been watered down and how vampires have become the source of fun. The whole Hot Topic scene was absolutely embarrassing and... I just don't get what the hell David S. Goyer was trying to do with this one. I, I just don't get it. And Wesley Snipes obviously didn't get it either. He was pissed during the making of this. And I do not blame him because this was his trilogy. The man was an executive producer on this. And he felt that he was being ignored during the making of all of this. And his character was very much ignored through so much of this. So it overall, I felt like this one really missed the mark. I was looking forward to really enjoying this and being the, the final chapter in this trilogy and then really kind of closing the book and moving on to something else. What I didn't expect was this to be like an episode in a sitcom that introduces new characters for the sake of getting them spun off into their own show the very next episode. Yeah, that's kind of the way that this felt. It felt way too sitcom-y, especially considering all the comedic actors that are a part of this. Um, This was a definite letdown. I felt like uh, New Line did Blade wrong. I felt like Marvel did Blade wrong by allowing this to happen. I just don't understand the actions behind the scenes that led to this. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. So please go ahead and check me out at uh, facebook.com slash from duck till dark. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the first family of Marvel finally making it to the big screen. So until then, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward and Excelsior. I'll see you tomorrow.